It's very important for us to learn how to die before we die. And I'm going to say more about that in a minute. But first, I just want to welcome you to this episode of Love Always Wins. My name is David Hazen. And this is about us, our journey together. And if you have any comments or questions that I can help you with, please email me at lovealwayswins.us at gmail.com. And that address is also in the show notes. What I'm trying to do with these podcasts is relate our personal journey to the much larger picture of the journey of humanity. I believe humanity cannot thrive, let alone survive as a species on this spaceship Earth, in a state of confusion about the cause of violence and self-destruction, which is a profound feeling of disconnection from other people, themselves, nature, and spirit. And so today I'm going to talk about the upside of grief. When most people, I'm going to say most people, uh, think about grief, and I know this is true of me for a very long time, we think about curling up into a ball of contraction and staying there, never-ending grief. And that is the story for a lot of people. In our entire history, the picture of grief is terrifying. We don't want to go there. In fact, we avoid it at all costs. And what we are learning now is that that cost is extremely high. The tragedy is that we may actually literally die, physically die, without any foreknowledge of what happens afterwards. So it's important that at this point in our life, while we're still awake and have some chance of knowing this, that we practice, rehearse, and witness our own death in advance. This gives us an opportunity to be able to see that, oh, dying isn't that terrible. In fact, it's a lot like going home. One of the ways that a lot of people in my generation have learned this fact is by using psychedelics because they open that doorway into connecting with that witness part of ourselves that survives our physical mortality. Other people have near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences or they listen to the stories of other people who've had those experiences. In my personal life, I've had to go through many experiences of grief, uh, losing my father when I was 14, losing pets, losing my mother much later in life, and ironically, losing my own self-identity as a loser, as an addict, as a ne'er-do-well, to finally come to the realization that my primary task in life is to 
to detach myself from my attachments to this life, which also means letting go of control. Ironically, this is what drugs do for us, as well as other forms of addictive behavior, is they get us out of that mentality of control. One of the main reasons grief is so difficult is we spend years and years learning how to control. We go through many, many stages of shock, anger, and deep sadness, confusion, all the stages of grief that Kubler-Ross taught us. Eventually, we all hit a bottom where nothing works and we give up. For most people, this is a pretty horrible feeling of, of, of panic and a lot of people will close their eyes to what's really going on at this point. And they also refuse to ask for help because they think, I got to do this on my own. And that is where the real trouble begins because that's where we get stuck because we don't trust anybody to help us. We may stay stuck there for a very long time. In fact, I was stuck there for about uh, how many, 34 years or so? after my father died when I was 14. I spent almost 30 years consuming drugs and alcohol in order to numb the pain. So here's the hard truth, the inconvenient truth. We are the only ones who can make the decision to let go of the pain. So we might as well get down to it and examine how are we going to do that? I'm going to suggest that one of the very first tasks of getting beyond this really dark point is to learn about anger management, to learn how anger has affected us, has uh, made us make poor decisions, and prolonged our suffering. It's only after we have taken our own inventory and taken a look at how being angry has affected ourselves, that we start to become curious about how self-observation might help us, and we start just very slowly opening our fists, so to speak, allowing new information to start filtering in about how it might be possible to detach from our own anger and start to be a little more resilient. The big surprise in this process is that once we have this kind of empathy for ourselves, we start to see how, oh, that other person, they're angry, they have issues, and they're just like me. So we start to have some empathy, some humility. The really fantastic outcome of this long process is that then we start to have a vision of how our entire species is bound up in this game of anger. And there's a possibility that we might all 
escape that cycle. Once we get to that point, we can start to have real authentic relationships and communication with other people. And I'm telling you, the joy of that experience is boundless. Next week, I'm going to take a look at how all this anger and violent thinking can be viewed and framed as a disease. And once we do that, it frees us to think about treatment and remission and how it is separate from the individual. It's no longer a moral issue. And we have compassion for the individual who has this disease as simply a tragic failure to communicate what it is they really need. Signing off for now, I love you.